during the age of constant connection, there is a force like gravity that shapes the inner and outer boundaries of our media. The pure force of signal, the pushers and pullers of knowledge, the invisible barrier. The ears of many hear the story of few, and few can relate. This connection of orbiting voices is the next paradox of the century. All right, so welcome everybody and good morning to uh, Bitcoin Breakfast Club. This morning we're going to be talking about Bitcoin Citadels. Um, just want to thank everybody for being here. I'm pretty excited to have this conversation. Uh, for those who are, who are new to my spaces and, and uh, humble spaces, we, uh, we like to run these in an organized fashion. I don't like spaces where people are talking over each other, etc. So we're going to start out with sort of a kind of a podcast from Matt with me and Untapped. We're talking about some some stuff and then after that after we've laid a little bit of foundation we'll start bringing the people up who want to ask questions or add to the discussion whatever the case may be it's important for everybody to know that if you come up on the stage as a speaker don't interrupt anybody if you want to talk put your hand up and we'll call on you one at a time um this conversation is being recorded by sats radio it's going to be published up on spotify so don't say anything in here that you don't want the world to know that you said just kind of a little heads up there. This is a public discussion. You should probably just in general assume that anything you say on the internet nowadays is being recorded anyway, but I just want to put it out there so everybody's fully aware. Um, I don't really have anything. Oh, I want to just quick two shout outs. Number one, Sats Radio. Thanks for recording. Thanks for publishing. And number two, Humble Warrior, thank you for co-hosting. You are awesome. And uh, Humble helps me out with these things. And we do this thing every Monday, or I'm sorry, every Monday through Friday we're doing these. Starting 7 a.m. Pacific, 10 a.m. Eastern, running in about two hours. Humble? I'm here. I am here. All right. Good morning, everybody. I just posted, I posted something to the NASA that I was referencing. An article that came out, I believe, yesterday. It's somewhat recent with some interesting things in there regarding Citadels. But I am happy to be here and uh, welcome on Tap Golf. Excited to have you guys and Alex talk this morning. Tell us more about these Citadels. Happy to be here. Um, hey, just a bit clear. I got an hour and a half. I got to be out of here. Eleven thirty. I pushed a meeting back, but that's about as far as I can push it. No worries. Sounds great. So why don't we, uh, you know, you and I just chat for a little bit, and once we've laid a decent foundation here, maybe thirty minutes or forty-five or whatever, and we'll we'll play it by ear, whatever feels right. Um, let me just quickly bring up why I wanted to do this spaces. Um, so as a lot of you guys know, I'm pretty new to to Bitcoin Twitter. I'm pretty new to Spaces. Um, in a previous life, I, I managed a physical gold fund, and uh, um, recently this year just came over to the Bitcoin world, was hired on to Swan Bitcoin um, the beginning of this month, and ever since then I've kind of just been rampaging around uh, Bitcoin Twitter and learning learning the Bitcoin Twitter space and getting to know people and all that other kind of stuff. Something that I've noticed in, in my journeys is, is that there's a lot of people that talk about this concept of Bitcoin citadels, but I have n never really, until I started talking to Untap this morning, I haven't really seen anybody talking about what it actually takes to do that and thinking through the actual logistics of doing that, the hurdles of doing that, and being realistic about what that actually means instead of some pie in the sky 
oh, it's going to be this this utopian thing. We're going to just go there and you know we're going to be peaceful and everybody's going to leave us alone. I, I'm not I'm not convinced that that's how things are going to work. Um, you know, but that's you know that's just my opinion. So all that said, Untapped, why don't you uh, tell us a little bit about you and your thoughts on Bitcoin Citadels and let's kind of roll from there. That is such an open-ended question. Um, so, I mean, I found Bitcoin because of Citadel building. I didn't get into Citadel building because of Bitcoin, which is a bit of the inverse of most people. Yeah, where, where do we even dive in, man? Um, freedom is important. Well, how about you tell me... Go ahead. I'm sorry, go ahead. Go ahead, man. Well, I was just going to say, how about you just tell me, tell me your story a little bit? Like, just so I, Okay, look, I'm going to preface this also by saying I know Untapped is a very private person, so there's certain things probably he's not going to say. So just take all of that in, in mind while we're having this discussion. But Untapped, if you're willing to tell us a little bit about your story, what got you thinking about Citadels in the first place, and then kind of what bridged that into Bitcoin for you. Okay, I'll answer that question through a historical lens to avoid the private information. Um, throughout history, there's always cycles of society, chaos, societal breakdown. Um, then you have that slow emergence of the path of tendencies of societal order coming to the surface again so that you can have the division of labor and trade and all that to come back to fruition. There's been multiple periods of history where this has happened. Some of my favorite revolve around stories of actually monasteries and monks. Um, if you look into like the Benedictine monks or the Iona monks, the Iona monks were at the monastery of Iona over off the coast of like Ireland, Scotland. Um, they're groups of people that were expecting society to collapse. You're entering into times where like war was falling into chaos. And what they would do is they would consolidate everything they thought was important. So they would go out and find all your ancient histories, all your sciences, philosophies, all the important critical information in mathematics. They would take these books and scrolls, they would copy and record them, store them, sequester them. The Benedictine monks in particular, what they would do is they actually stored seeds and like all the stuff you would need to reboot agriculture. And then they would kind of go off like the Iona monks, went out to an abandoned island that was barely fit for human living. They turned into a monastery, founded farms, and weathered out the storm in the middle of nowhere. And then after that, they had the seeds of civilization kept within their society and community again. So then they would go out in two by twos. They'd send out groups of traveling monks and they would take the knowledge they had and start sharing it with the world again. And then they'd also take the capacities they had. Like the Benedictine monks would go out and reteach agriculture. They found a little monastery. And that would be the seeds, the seed or the cornerstone where civilizations would start to sprout. They would start to grow enough food and then soil's your first productive asset, right? So until you have an overproduction of food, there can be no division of labor. You can't have somebody going to become a blacksmith or a cobbler. and There's no trade until everybody doesn't have to farm. So they would start from that, and then they would bring the histories, the philosophies, the religion, all the things to help people kind of start to organize human governance and consensus again. And from there, be at that emergent tip of the spear of founding the next phase of society. This is what I would define as a citadel. It's in this, uh, it's in this historical archetype of preparing and sequestering everything needed to outbirth a new civilization, so it heads in the direction of freedom and goodness after the chaos ends, so that you can be somebody who was able to weather the storm and be an emergent leader in society. 
And I love that definition. And I, and I, uh, it resonates with me because, uh, <clears throat> I'm a, personally, I'm a big believer in resilience and, uh, you know, just setting yourself up in ways that, that make you less reliable on, a on really exterior resources as much as possible. I mean, granted, we're humans, we're in a society, we interact with each other, all that other kind of stuff. Um, but I've thought for some time that, uh, you know, we're obviously moving into a, in, into turbulent times. My hope is that moving forward, we can find a way through these challenges in a, in a peaceful fashion. I'm all about peace. I'm not interested in violence. I'm, I've, I've seen that and I'm not, you know, I'd, I don't want to see any more of it. If at all possible, I have kids that I love and I want them to know peace. Um, so I look at things like citadels and what Untapped is talking about as, as a way to sort of do exactly that, sort of bridge through that. And um, Bitcoin is the, is the peaceful way, in my opinion, to, to move through that as well. So, so Untapped, talk to me about like how citadels and the concept of resilience um, interfaces with Bitcoin, in your opinion. Okay, so with the world we're going into, resistance is only possible because of Bitcoin. At a strategic level, nothing is going to work. Anybody who tries to stand up to this totalitarian regime is going to get psyops. The bigger the resistance, the more it's going to be consolidated into an excuse to compile authoritarian power against you. They are using this technocracy of this surveillance state to try to isolate anybody who loves freedom from each other and maintain the control of the communication networks and supply chains to a degree that we've never seen before in history. So with this, there's no strategy where you pick a fight and it works. What we need to be able to do is stop the time theft. So they use stealing time from us to fund all the crimes against humanity that are being perpetuated. The problem is that as long as we're on their monetary standard, we can't stop the theft. There's no way to keep them from being able to do that. With Bitcoin, we can finally take the power away of time theft where they can blindly rob. They can rob humanity where humanity is unaware of it to fund all of the oppression. So my thesis here of weathering the storm is we need to opt out not just in the monetary layer, but we need to opt out at the physical life support layer of everything we need for survival. And then what we're doing is waiting for Bitcoin to defund them. That is when things will actually be at a place where we have a chance to meet this on a playing field of truth again, where justice matters rather than just power of them having this ultimate financial arm to craft incentives around us. Yeah, I'm feeling that. So. <clears throat> let's break this down a little bit. There, there's a good chance there's people in this audience who aren't familiar with the concept of theft of time in monetary terms. Um, that's a pretty new, if you're not already a Bitcoiner, if you've not already studied monetary policy and the history of money and, and understanding the way fiat currency works, let's just really quickly speak to that. So <clears throat> the basis of it, you got to understand a little bit about money and I'm going to suggest anybody who's listening, go look up 
um, the What Is Money podcast. It's done by Robert Breedlove. He does he goes deep dive into this stuff. He's got many hours on this subject. And if you want to get, in my opinion, almost a PhD level understanding of economics, and I'm not talking about the economics they teach you and they want you to to espouse at MIT. I'm talking about the way things really work. Um, go check it out. It's it's, it's amazing. Um, but the but, but to summarize it, I'm going to try and summarize. It's a, it's a deep subject, so I may not be able to do it justice. If somebody here in a couple minutes has a better way to explain it. I'd love to hear from you, but <clears throat> you got to understand that inflation, like, it, you know, people talk about inflation prices going up. Inflation is not prices going up. Prices going up is a symptom of inflation. So it's kind of like when you sneeze and you have a cold, that's a symptom of, of having a cold. This, the sneezing is not the cold. The cold is the cause, right? So the cause of prices going up is too much money in the system chasing after the same amount or fewer goods. That's the cause of prices going up. It's a supply demand thing. And what we've got going on in this, in the United States and, and therefore in the world, because the United States is the world's reserve currency is, is that we've been creating ridiculous amounts of money. And by the way, that can't stop at this point. There's a mathematical equation going on here where they can no longer really take their foot off the gas. I mean, there's a lot of people who say, well, they still have lots of tools left. I, I have my doubts. Um, there's another book that I would highly recommend. It's, um, it's called The Price of Tomorrow. It's written by Jeff Booth. Go check this out. He does a really good job of explaining the deflation versus inflation powers that are sort of affecting this whole thing. And you need to have a solid understanding of that first. Uh, but at the end of the day, the, the, the effect of, of inflation is, is that the prices go up. Your income doesn't match how fast the prices are going up. The cost of things run away from you. You've got younger generations of people today who are looking at the cost of homes, et cetera, thinking to themselves, I will never be able to afford that. And that is a net effect of that inflation. People are running on a hamster wheel trying to earn dollars, and they're chasing the dollar, chasing the dollar, chasing the They're running after it nonstop. And the problem is the dollars are buying less and things are costing more. And ultimately, that breaks. That That is the one, you know, if you want to know the one thing that all fiat currencies in the entire history of mankind share in common is that they all go to an intrinsic value of zero at some point. So, Untapped, do you have any thoughts on that, Humble? Any thoughts on that? I, I would say that so much more simply. Like, time is money, and money is supposed to be a representation of energy because energy is what we spend to try to use our time on Earth more effectively. Like, they're able to produce money at a whim with a marginal cost of zero, which is counterfeiting money because we have to put in work to produce that money. So they're producing money without work, which means that they have a right to pretend that they've done work to steal time. So due to that, we are putting in our work that they can maintain their pretending, thus monetizing their power to fund their oppression against us. Yeah, damn, that was succinct. <laughs> yeah, I can't really follow that. <laughs> that, that was really good. <laughs> let's, uh, all right, let's dive into the Citadel thing a little bit more. Um, Untapped, like, describe to me, okay, think of it like this. If you had to pick five factors for a good Citadel, 
what would they be in order of, of importance? Like number one, what's most important? Number two, number three, number four, number five. Interesting way to frame it. Let me think about that for a second. I mean, I guess I would say first is mindset. Um, you first and foremost, you got to be willing to face the hard question of what are you trusting in and trust, like choose that in everything. Like the whole Bitcoin culture, don't trust, verify, but you got to be willing to extend that to all the areas that make you uncomfortable. Um, I was talking to a space of a spit with Svetsky the other day, and we were talking about the term faith, where I would define faith as the capacity to handle the tension in the middle of the unknown, to continue to pursue the unveiling of life, what's real, and be dedicated in honesty to it until that realness comes into being. So it's like with Bitcoin, right? We understand what is real here with Bitcoin, and us taking the risk of being a part of this community and storing our monetary energy in it is an exercising of that strength of belief that this is going to be something that does what we believe it will be, right? And if we don't have that same inner, like inner strength, that inner capacity to handle tension in every arena of our lives, any blind spot you have is going to be a spot that can take you out. Because in a world where you need total sovereignty due to this oppression, one single spot can be like a, a catastrophic spot that just takes out your entire initiative. It could be something just as simple as like you go out, you get your land and all this stuff. And, and then during the rejuvenation process of the land, like they cut off your ability to get fuel because you don't have a digital ID anymore and you needed the fuel to get the fields mode in time to get the cows on it. Or like, to even deliver your meat to the markets for your customers. And so because you didn't have a secondary stockpile of gasoline, you now are stuck. Or like an even more um, like poignant one, uh, currently supply chains are broken for parts to repair tractors or even a lot of vehicles. A lot of tractor manufacturers like John Deere, Manger, a couple of guys over I know in the Southwest, um, the dealerships don't have any parts. The way that they're fixing tractors even inside the dealership is they're paying machine shops to fabricate one-offs in order for them to better repair things they're working on. Now, currently, you've got the shortage of magnesium happening, which I think is under, under, under the surface warfare coming through the situation with China. That's going to cause shortages with aluminum. That's going to propagate into the entire industrial manufacturing and all the stuff we need. It's like you have to be willing to look and say, what am I trusting in everywhere I look? So, so first and foremost, like the most important thing with a Citadel is a mindset. You have to be willing to look at it strategically at all of the parallel dependencies and not close your eyes. You got to not be scared. You got to see it eyes wide open, know just how risky it is. Even the ones you can't solve, you can't assume anywhere that just because it's a world you don't know as well as the others, because the worlds we know well, we all know they're just fucked. Like we understand that. But we tend to have this problem where a world that we don't know as well, we assume that it's, it's going to be all right. Like, I've never farmed before, but I'm going to get there. I'm going to buy fencing. I'm going to get a tractor and a mower. Like, and then I'll figure it out. Like, you can't make assumptions that there is order in any place. You have to control every single dependency in the world we're entering into. Yeah, you know it, Ben. And I see you hitting the little, like, thumbs ups over there. Because you and I are dealing with a boat on the ground. It's like we're having... In this world, relationship networks are gold. 
it comes down to having built trust with people that you love them and they love you. Because at the end of the day, they are the ones who will go to bat in a world of scarcity to work together to take care of each other. Um, so, I mean, I would just say step one's mindset. And until we hammer on mindset, 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 like sheepdog versus sheep, talking about anything else almost doesn't even make sense. Yeah, that's that's an awesome way to 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 frame it. Um, because I think this is just an opinion, but first of all, a lot of what you said, like people who haven't thought about this kind of stuff, it might scare them a little bit. And look, the purpose of this space is not is not to scare anybody. Um, you know, we're not here to 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 try to make people worry or anything like that. But the fact of the matter is, if you were to to rewind the clock, maybe five, seven, eight years ago the preppers in your social circles were looked at as kind of little, little bit, you know, on the, on the edge, on the fringe of, of normality. Right. But nowadays the, the actual truth is most people are going to those preppers in their social circles and they're like, Hey man, you got any tips? <laughs> so that's kind of the transition of, of where things have come. And I a hundred percent agree with the networking thing. Um, for those of you who are interested in this kind of a topic, resilience, all that other kind of stuff, I'd suggest throw on top to follow because this guy's way further down the path, in my opinion, than anybody I've seen or talked to in the Bitcoin space yet. He's thinking of things from a practical perspective, not just dreams, not just like, let's have this like utopian place where we can go and we'll just be peaceful and everyone will leave us alone. I will tell you my own personal opinion on that is that is not the case. You're not going to be left alone. So, um, and we can get more into that in a minute. Welcome to everybody who's joining us. We're talking about Bitcoin Citadels today. We're going to do a little bit more of a podcast format in the beginning of this discussion. Then we're going to open the floor to bring up people who have questions and who want to add to the discussion here in a little bit. Untapped, what do you think is sort of the next step a person needs to be considering when it comes to Citadels? Looking at it realistically, um, from your perspective? I would just say war is won and lost by logistics. I mean, we could talk about security. We could talk about the information warfare going on out there. But if you start from a place of just total self-honesty of saying, what am I trusting in, in this dynamic of what I'm trying to build and assume that you need to verify all the way down to the roots of it, that's going to get you there no matter where you start. Now, don't, don't think that me hammering this stuff is black pill. This is totally winnable. It's just you have to actually step all the way forward in a strategic level thinking where, like you from the military, I'm sure you understand this, where the difference between tactics versus strategies, one of the big mistakes I see everybody making is you're thinking in tactics instead of strategies. You need to have a comprehensive strategy of this is the way I'm framing the world, these are the problems I'm trying to solve, and then you implement the tactics that are the best suited to manage that risk. Yeah, I agree, hundred percent. Like that's the difference between you know generals and and you know the the commanding officer or whatever ground troops are are fighting the fight, right? It's the difference between there's a difference between fighting a fight or a battle and winning a war, and the difference is logistics. It's exactly what you said. We call it beans and bullets in the military. Like that's what the generals do. They're not sitting there worrying about the tactical situation they're wondering okay after this battle is done how do we get the necessary supplies in place and make sure that logistic chains keeps flowing so the boys never run out of fuel and ammo 100 percent. so so what would you say just go all the way to the strategic level 
are the most important things that need to be solved for strategically to try to build sovereignty for your family and community? Well, I don't know that I'm the person to ask about that. I mean, I've been thinking about this kind of stuff for a couple of years now, and I've been on a journey where I want as much resilience as possible. I have my own networks of people that I've integrated with who, who think kind of along the same lines. Um, but, I mean, as far as the overall big picture logistics stuff, I mean, I think you're better suited to talk about that than I am. What are your thoughts on it? Give, give me what you got. Let's go back and forth on a little bit, because I'm sure that'll be healthy for everybody here. All right. Well, okay. I I I, I know this. For, I've talked to Untap just a little bit this morning privately, and I know he thinks really big picture. He's thinking more on the general level. I'm thinking more on the tactical level. Meaning, like from my immediate family and the people close to me, I think in terms of water, timber, food, shelter, and then defense now by defense i mean um you know do you do are you able to defend yourself if necessary and you know do you have friends and do you know people who who are capable in that regard a lot of people i think all right i'm just going to dive into the whole little sheep sheep dog thing this is going to upset some people i'm just going to preface it with that just try to keep an open mind right now i'm not being critical of anybody I'm just kind of laying out what I, in my experience, have found to be true. There was an article written by a Marine colonel. He basically said that there are three types of people in the world. There are wolves, there are sheepdogs, there are sheep. Vast, vast, vast majority of human beings on the planet are sheep. That's not meant in a condescending way. What that means is these people prefer peace. They're not violent people. They don't think in terms of violence. They would never do violence. Well, I shouldn't say never, but they're, they're, they're most likely would not. They would avoid it at almost all costs, okay? Wolves. I mean, as, as Sun Tzu says, war is expensive, avoided at all costs. It's, war is a breakdown of trade and healthy collaboration between people. All it does is a negative loss for society. We would rather not fight war if given the choice. It's an expenditure of resources towards things that don't increase the wealth and beauty of our immediate circles. Yeah, 100% agree. And, and peaceful societies obviously are much, much better than societies at war. So to continue the analogy is, is that wolves, according to this marine colonel, are people who fall into that psychopathic end of the spectrum. You know, they have sociopathic, psychopathic tendencies. They fall into that spectrum where they prefer to use violence, if necessary, to control other people and exert dominance and power over others. Um, now, there are people who, who fall into this spectrum who use nonviolent means. If the system is working in their favor and they can find themselves in, find themselves in positions of power, they're happy to use that as a tool keeping the mask on, so to speak, so people don't really know what they are. And then finally, you have what this Marine colonel referred to as sheepdogs. Now, sheepdogs are all throughout our society. You can but, find them in the military. You can find them in police forces, et cetera. Go ahead, Untap. Yeah, so before you jump onto that, I think it's really important to be really careful how we define violence in our current situation because they hide behind the fact that violence isn't physical, perpetuate this sense of... Uh, it's almost a codependent victim mentality where they are allowed to be the abusive aggressor because it's permission to violence. That is completely, totally wrong paradigm. 
I would phrase violence as any place where you're oppressing the natural rights of another. And that can be done through the monetary system of time theft with inflation, where they're counterfeiting money. That way it steals it from our savings accounts. That could be done through the media and psyops, where they're manipulating the masses in order to push them into places that's not where they really want to be going. Like all of these things are forms of violence where you are destroying the self-determination of another human being. Free will is a thing that any healthy society honors and respects to facilitate that place within each other because that's, that's that slice of the divine that makes us different. If that's not being respected, that is what I would term as violence. Yeah, 100%. Absolutely. 100% agree. So it doesn't have to be violence in the traditional terms, right? Like, you know, being robbed at gunpoint or whatever, but um, all of those things, I agree 100%. So finally... Because, because um, at the end of the day, like, lies are kind of like violence, right? They don't have an adherence to truth, and due to that, they are able to control the narrative around us for the sake of oppressing people. It's that divorce from reality that's just trying to pull us all into the same. It's, it's not allowing us to, with our free will and choice, maintain groundedness. 100%. It's the divorce from truth is what it comes down to, right? It's, it's all about the, the lies and the deception that are, that are foisted upon people in order to, to sort of take advantage of them. Um, okay, and I'll, I'll finish up the analogy and we'll move on. So the last part is the sheepdogs. These are people who um, recognize that wolves are real. Here's the interesting thing I've learned about the, the, the portion of the population who don't think in terms of that kind of force is a lot of them don't realize or don't believe that these folks that are on the psychopathic end of the spectrum actually exist. <laughs> and sheep, or I should say sheepdogs, are sort of eyes wide open people because we've dealt with evil, like for real. On a and sometimes on a daily basis, so we know what it looks like. We we don't sit around pretending that it doesn't exist. And and I find that a lot of the population will kind of stick their head in the sand and and not acknowledge that evil exists right up until the moment that that it's wrecking them. And that's why sheepdogs are important. Now, so back and I'll finish up with this. The last component of of to me citadels is defense, and you need sheepdogs for that. So, yeah, at a strategic level, I'd put almost all of those things inside of, like, the prepper box of, like, tactics. I'd say there's a few other strategic considerations that matter a lot. You've got, you need sovereignty over all the prepper stuff like that, which is you're just on the boots on the ground situation and the way you solve all those little pieces for your family, whether that's growing food, as having stockpiles, like, plans for water purification, like, having your firearms and your like, plans are there for defense. But then, so I'd say there's a few other ones. You need sovereignty in your tech stack. This is an information war where they're using the tools of the surveillance state to very precisely target people who are not going with the agenda. I mean, you can see where they're going after people when banning driver's license because they attended the January 6th rally. And they didn't even have to really even do anything. I know people that were just there through friends of friends that are being thrown in jail because they backtracked it using the tech, using their phones and stuff, right? So laser hodls where I follow there. He's got a lot of information he's putting out on sovereign tech stacks. Um, you need sovereignty in the money layer because in monetary reset, what happens in history is they're 
extracting the productive wealth. That way they can monopolize that cornerstone of productive capital for the next phase of the long cycle. If you don't have a way to store that separate from the fiat system that they're inflating away, you are just going to get robbed from, and then they're going to use all those resources against you, which goes back to wars logistics. It's like you're having your supply chain stolen without even realizing it. And then the fourth strategy that's really one of the super important ones, but you kind of like got to have to work on that last is networks. You want to build strong relationships of deep trust and truth with people you love, like as far reaching as you can, like within an hour or two's drive, you need strong networks, but you want to have a diversity of people you're involved with too. Blue collars and tradesmen, farmers, like ex military, like, like teachers that can help you homeschool your kids. Like, Absolutely everybody you can think of build as strong relationships by being an authentic, loving person in every dynamic that you possibly can. That is so, so, so critical. All right, cool. Um, I think that's 100% right on because ultimately, you know, we were talking about this the other day, Bitcoin Citadel economies. These are actually popping up organically now as we speak. So there are doctors that are getting together and starting to form networks um, just you know, look at all the various different in- industries that have basically been under attack and you're starting to see like-minded people starting to form networks to create basically an alternate economy. Um, and it's the Bitcoin Citadel economy is the way I look at it. Um, so this has been a pretty good foundation for a conversation. I'd like to, uh, here in just a minute, open it up and start letting some folks come up from the audience who want to ask questions or add to the conversation before we do that. Um, Humble, do you have any thoughts on what we've been talking about? I have so many thoughts. <laughs> um, I've been taking a lot of notes here, um, but I really, really like the definition that you gave um, untapped growth of violence. I mean, it's it's not something that people would, would tend to visualize or go to when they're thinking of violence. You know, it's like this automatic go-to of uh, physical violence. Um, but the violence is suppressing the national rights of another. I mean, that, that really resonated with me. So, um, I just wanted to throw that out there as something that I felt was, um, quite important to be reflecting on when we're looking at all this. Um, untapped, I'm going to come back to you in just one second. I want to, uh, welcome up my, uh, my colleague in Swan Bitcoin, Tomer, um, to the stage. Good morning, Tomer. How are you doing? Hey, I'm doing good. I'm doing What's good. up, buddy? <laughs> friend, I heard you asking some tough questions, <laughs> and, and uh, I thought I might try to um, not answer them with answers, but to tell you how I how I might be thinking about them, so that you could challenge me and let me know if I'm thinking about them right at all, or if I'm taking undue risks. Because they're tough questions that you posed, right? <laughs> like, um, what, what what was it? It's what do you? <laughs> I can't remember exactly now because I raised my hand a little while ago, but you were asking, like, what level of preparation do you need to, how deep do you need to go to be prepared for whatever might come? Was that basically the the way you framed the question? Yeah, that you need to expect to need sovereignty in everything. There's a few different layers for that, right? You've got the breakdown of supply chains that happens during these, like, monetary reset and shift of the long cycle. So like anybody who studied logistics knows just how bad it is. And I think there's covert, covert warfare happening too with China with like the chips and then Taiwan, then the magnesium stuff and 
Then you've got our government and what they're doing with the oil supply, which I think is intentional weakening of the United States, but it's beneath the UN agenda. So you've got these macro level, like geopolitical stuff happening. That in itself has its own layers of things. It's just going to break everything. Like, like for example, I'm working on building my local Citadel park. I can't get a tractor. I ordered my UTV last May. I just got it. That's way worse now. I can't get tires. I can't get parts to fix tractors. Um, a lot of stuff's going short in the animals care place. Like you can't get lysine, which is a major component of most chicken feeds and animal feeds. Um, you can't like, <laughs> I ordered tires for my truck. I can't get those. I may have said that one already. So like layers and layers and layers of stuff. And this is just due to the geopolitical stuff. Then you got the secondary risk factor on top of it, of this whole um, medical surveillance state with digital IDs and things. They're trying to push and push and push to get us into that central bank digital currency where they can use a social credit score to manipulate human behavior, right? Um, they want to go towards this communist-based AI system, essentially, is what they think the next type of human governance that's going to be good for humanity. They tested it at China, and they're trying to roll it out to the rest of the world. So if you don't partake in that system, if you don't have their digital ID, I mean, what if you just can't go to the grocery store? What if you can't go get gas for your vehicle? Like, they can just snip you off from society. I mean, like, you've got credit cards. So what if you just one day, they just cut off your credit card, right? So there's layers and layers of different places that that's getting really shaky. Mm -hmm. um, you, you'll like this one in particular, Tamar. Um, there's a, a verse in the New Testament. I should pull it up. I tweeted it after my Spaces podcast with Svetsky the other day. If anybody remembers the one where I was quoting about treasure, DM it to me so I don't have to find it. But uh, it's essentially a verse that says, um, place your treasure in things above rather than things below. Um, where thieves, moss, and rust don't destroy, because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It's this concept of you want to know the fragileness of what you're trusting in. You're, we, we often say, like, you, you need to have hope, right? You've got to have hope, but of survive and carry on. And, but hope is not a, it's not an abstraction of naivety. It's, it's meant to be grounded on truth. I have hope in Bitcoin because I know Bitcoin, game theoretically, is going to consume the world. So it's, it's based on knowledge of reality itself, right? Mm -hmm. We need to ground our hopes on things that are true and real, and be willing to ask of everything we look at in our lives, where are my hopes placed right now? Right. So is this placed in something really unreliable? Yeah, go. Yeah. I, I, this, I, I'll try not to be too long in this because this is this is your time. Um, I, I, I'm old enough that I remember the Y2K bug, uh, and this was gonna, this was positioned as a crisis at the time, and the whole world was going to end if everybody didn't pay consultants money to fix uh, the Y2K bug, and. And many people prepared, right? Like people bought generators and they loaded up gas. They filled up their cars and they filled up gas cans. And they obviously overprepared. I remember my sense My sense was that it was hyped up over nothing. So it's different from the situation now. Um, and I said, you know, I don't want – my joke was I don't want to live in a world without computers. So if they're going, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go with them. And I didn't make the preparations. And, of course, nothing happened um, either because we all prepared for it or because it was a nothing burger to begin with, which is what it was. Um, and when I think of making preparations for these things, I think 
I think I completely agree with you. Bitcoin is going to succeed. The question is, how will it succeed? Uh, and how much pain do we have to go through before it succeeds? And I think that you and I would both agree in this extreme scenario, which unfortunately isn't true. If tomorrow everybody in the world decided that's it, Bitcoin, we're ignoring the central banks, we're all installing our lightning nodes, going to uh, open up channels, and we're just going to use Bitcoin, decentralized currency, we wouldn't have to worry about supply chains collapsing. We wouldn't have to worry about any of this stuff because it's sound money that um, that causes capital to go to where it's needed and, and to support the civilization. So I just kind of want to pause there. I have I have a couple more things to say in terms of how I answer your question, but I, I just want to make sure that like where that you would agree. Um, and if you don't, that's fine. I, I don't want to force it, but I don't want to go down a different. Uh, path of the conversation if that's if that's not something that you would agree with that if bitcoin was adopted widely it would fix all of these issues before you, want to, before you answer that untapped give me one second here i want to try to get everybody up to speed on what we're doing and just summarize where we are we are um talking about obviously bitcoin citadels today that's the topic of the discussion i think people who are in this room right now are interested in the and that's why they're here um, so we're going to open it up here in just a second um, to people who want to ask questions or anything. So Untapped, do you uh, have any um, things you want to say before we start bringing up uh, people asking questions? Yeah, I'd, I'd love to address what Tomer, what Tomer is talking about. Um, Tomer, in, in kind of circles that talk a lot about strategy, there's this concept of passing the event horizon. When you're thinking in macro, especially when you're thinking in complex logistics, this event horizon goes over long periods of time. Um, so when we talk about Bitcoin, we have to be really clear about time horizon. I think over a long enough time horizon that having a hard money standard grounded to reality where you can't produce it with zero margin cost is going to reconnect the monetary uh, communication tool of humanity back to energy itself, which is going to fix a lot of problems because now you have discipline where if you try to divorce yourself from reality, you're going to crash really quick. I think that that's going to last a lot longer than people realize. So like people talk about like, how is the oppressor is going to pay for armies and enforcement when we shift to a Bitcoin standard? Well, I believe that they already have stolen lots of Bitcoin more than we probably realize. I mean, you look at the stories we already know of like Persia, BitMEX, um, Silk Road. I mean, they've got a lot of coins hidden. We know they're going to print a lot of money once they figure it out and probably use their regulatory power to fraction reserve these exchanges to extract as much as they can. And then they're going to use violence, most likely, to try to steal as much more as they can. This is their MO. They've been doing this for generations to get their will. I mean, this is the petrodollar system where they'll bomb nations, right? Um, so, I mean, first there's that. I mean, I expect even best-case scenario, it to take 10 to 20 years before they even start to get pinched if they really accumulated enough, as, I, as much as I think they're going to, and then it hyper-Bitcoinizes, because they're going to have a pretty big treasury. Um, hope for the best plan for the worst. It may not happen that way. But going back to the logistics question, I believe we're past the event horizon on logistics itself. I think supply chains have passed the point of the exponential ripple effect, where even if everything was fixed today, and the whole world came into alignment of saying, we're going to work together and solve these problems and not have any adversarial like stuff happening between China and the U.S. or anybody else, that we would still have a lot of chaos of things breaking to a point where 
people would go hungry from it. Okay, so um, at this point, I think uh, we'll start taking some more people up on stage to ask questions, et cetera. Just one last final comment. I guess with all this kind of stuff, because I think a lot of people don't like thinking about this stuff. I think a lot of people, it makes them very uncomfortable. They don't want to think through scenarios. And, like, this is not about doom and gloom. We're not here to kind of, like, make everybody depressed. <laughs> but it's, like, in the military, you know, you want to know what's going on. You want to know what the enemy's doing. You want to know what the enemy's position is. You want to know how they're outfitted, how they're resourced, where they are, how they're moving, all that kind of stuff. That's not because you want to be just all depressed about the fact. It's because you need to know what's going on to, to properly react and to properly proactively uh, take steps that are gonna that are gonna enable you to prevail in a given situation. So, topic today is resilience, Bitcoin Citadels. Um, I don't do, humble. Have you been keeping track of like the order of people that are asking to come up? Because I'm not. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm here for. <laughs> um, Harry is Harry is next. Um, he's next, and then I believe it's Tim and Mo Sats. Okay, perfect. So as we do this, as we start bringing people up and we request that whoever is coming up, please uh, be be kind, be polite, um, take your take your turn, like by put your, putting your hand up if there's something that you want to say, we will call on everybody individually. Go ahead, untapped and humble, go ahead and bring the first uh, question up. Okay, so just real quick to address what you're saying, like this isn't a black pill. Everything is totally winnable. Humans have existed for all of recorded human history, largely as smaller family units that took care of each other. It's totally solvable just because there's this surveillance state that's trying to get in, into our space doesn't mean this isn't possible. Um, but I, I would frame this through the lens of what one of my mentors told me a long time ago. And this was through a landscape of like personal growth and development, like spiritual growth, that if you want to become who you have it in you to be, you have to be willing to admit how deep the darkness goes. You have to truly be willing to know yourself and know everything around you. Otherwise, you fail to ask the full question that it takes to see the tension in order to grow. I know that feels painful, but that suffering is the proof of work that enables you to achieve that, that journey across that place to get there. 100%. 100%. And I'm going to add just one th quick thing, Harry. I'm going to call on you just a second here. This is that in the, in the teams, in the Navy, you know, there's a, there's basically a saying that goes, seek being uncomfortable. I'm paraphrasing it, but that's the whole deal because that's where all growth comes from. Good morning, Harry. How are you doing? Good morning. Thank you for the, the spaces today. I, I, I love, I love getting to listen and, and I'm just grateful for your, your stewardship. Um, my question is around the event horizon that you were talking about. Um, it seems to me, at least the construction that I work with, is that the event horizon we're dealing with is that we're we're exiting um, what a governance system that resembles more of a social construct, our contract um, around you know sort of mu relatively mutually agreed upon what you must not do um, and or what you can't what, what you what is what is unacceptable, and we're entering um, an event space where uh, the the prevailing um, you know, wisdom, I guess, is that, is that we're moving towards a what you must do. And I think that, uh, you know, obviously, you know, Bitcoin and the, you know, the ongoing governance structures that Bitcoin offers is, uh, you know, con continuously narrowing rather than continuously widening. Um, how, how does the Citadel 
in the way that you're thinking of it on tap specifically deal with um with you know what you can't versus what you must this is a very great topic this is one of the weak points right because with them having the monopoly of violence and all the regulatory power currently they're pushing the boundaries of what is legal by creeping and creeping and creeping and pushing the Overton window of what they're allowed to do in society to break the social contract. They're violating the constitution and just one piece after another eroding what we've agreed to in society. But if we try to do that, they crap down on us hard, right? And the justice system itself is breaking down inside of that. I, I would say first and foremost, you have to understand in, in this world, when you have collapse, there's three main phases. There's first the phase of preparation that happens inside of the current legal paradigms. You're getting ready for chaos, but you have to live by the rules. Phase two, the rules start to break down in pockets, and you have to be really careful because if you live in a world where you're not expecting there to be rules, and then you move back into the world where there is rules, it can come back and bite you. So you have to kind of be really cautious as you move between those pockets of chaos and the pockets where the old world still has power. Phase three is total chaos. So first and foremost, I would say you have to know which phase you're in and you have to be willing to transition mindsets quickly between them and understand which mindset those working against you is using. Is that starting to get towards what you're thinking about, Harry, where you lean it towards something else? With Senator? No, absolutely. This is, you know, this is at the heart of it for me because, you know, we are in this transitory period and, um, Transition means chaos, and so managing chaos um, and and trying to define order within both um, within both circumstances is uh, is top of mind for me right now. Thank you, guys, everybody. Really, really, thank you. Thanks for so, that question, Harry. I'll go ahead and tap. I'm sorry. Yeah. So to give clarity, I would say most of the country we're either like at the middle to the end of phase one or near it, right at the end of phase one. But some people are starting to like that or using this power structure against us are starting to live somewhat into phase two in pockets. Like, especially if you look at some of the riots and stuff that were happening around the country where it just never got enforced any sort of societal order. Those are kind of the first symptoms of that starting to change. This happens over long time scales, though. I mean, you're talking years. It's not yeah. something that's just going to be instantaneous. 100%. To add to that point, I think COVID was actually one of the better things for Bitcoin because it really how much control these, you know, elites have on the average person. And obviously I feel like everybody in this space who's a Bitcoiner or who's been involved in Bitcoin feels like they have an upper hand in a sense to this, you know, control. And at least for myself, I can speak on and say that during the world going crazy, I felt like I was in a secure position to at least have it out if something even got crazier. That's an interesting point. So um, I'm going to ask everybody who's coming up to exercise their patience muscle a little bit. And uh, like, I don't, I don't, I want everybody to just kind of pause for a second before we, before we jump in, but appreciate your, your, your perspective there, Hoddle. Um, we're going to move on to Timothy. We're also, by the way, we're going to be we're going to be rotating people off the stage because we've got a ton of people I think that are interested in participating. So we're going to slowly, well, I shouldn't say slowly, but one at a time. We're going to be bringing people up and rotating people off. So, um, good morning, Timothy. How are you doing? Oh, can't hear you very well. 
Yep, we need you to do Sounds something. Sounds like you're really far away. Yep, we can't hear you. We'll give you a second to try and fix it. Looking at Timothy's profile, he's got family adventure in Bitcoin, and he looks like he's trekking across Siberia with donkeys. So you might not have good internet right now, is my guess. How about that? Can you hear me now? Yep, we can hear yeah. you. Yeah, yep, you're good. Sorry about that. I, um, I was actually just listening on a loudspeaker. I was just lying down. I think I got brought up onto the stage by mistake, but that's absolutely fine because I, I was thinking a few a question myself, actually. Um, I was just going to ask Joel in particular um, because um, he's, you, I think you've, you've thought a lot more deeper than I have about this um, because this is something that my sort of friend group, in, we're in, in Wales in the UK, a lot of us are thinking about um, the Citadel idea. Some of us already have a kind of a setup, which I do, which, but it's not what I want. Um, and the one thing I'm always thinking about is um, what do you imagine in places like, you know, I'm not talking about the US here, I'm talking about where I live, um, what do you imagine happens when, um, say, um, a new tax emerges which taxes your property and starts eating into your ability to be self-sovereign? Um, how do you see yourself maintaining a citadel when that attack vector becomes so obviously easy to use. Um, that's, that's my question. That is absolutely one of the things that needs solving. That is something I totally cannot talk about on our Twitter spaces. The, I will say that there are abilities to use... Hmm, let me step back. The, the people pushing the totalitarianism use narrative and messaging to manipulate the populace. There's no enforcement of laws without the will of the people. So like originally justice is based first and foremost upon the morality of those that are governed, right? Because you maintain their consent and that's where the structure of justice has the power to do the enforcement of itself, right? Okay, so using the manipulation of the media and the narrative, they're able to do things to the populace now that are pretty egregious because they can use these lies to craft the narrative that they want. There are holes in the ways they craft their narratives, and there's holes in their own authority and legal structures that can enable you to have places that make the cost of tyranny very, very high. You have to be a strategic player who understands that game and is not just thinking in legal structures or in like kinetic defense. You have to be able to think multi-layered of the actual way this battle is taking place in an information war. Um, but it's completely possible. For now, I just got to leave it there. If, if you got a question, you can kind of refine it for me a little bit. I can shoot down ideas, but I can't really talk too much about how I'm solving it. Okay, th thanks, mate. I um, I I'll leave it for another time when when it can be talked about then, because I I think a lot about it. That's my my one of my common concerns for the future. It it always resides at that point, and 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 it goes something like this, you know. You create a, a network, a citadel, a self-sovereign lifestyle, and then, um, depending on where you live in the world, um, it gets slowly crushed by by the, the system, and it's very hard to maintain the, the sovereignty. I think in America, certainly, 
you have certain you have the ability to arbitrage even between states which is really useful as far as i can see but also you are you know you have weapons there <laughs> without putting a finer point on it and, and i suspect a number of people were prepared to prepared to sort of like um you know protect themselves we don't necessarily have that system uh, in europe in the same way and um so so yeah it's something that's something that a lot of us think about a lot and and um, we all have our ways of dealing with it, surely, but slow, slowly, but surely. But but it is uh, it is the the number one thing we think about. I think. Let let me say a little bit of strategy just to give you a little bit of ways to solve it for those listening. First and foremost, visible citadels are nearly impossible. I would recommend nobody do what I'm doing. Um, I'm doing it for very particular reasons, and. It is, it, don't do it. <laughs> um, I 100% agree with what Laser Hoddle talks about. Of like, if you say like you're trying to buy like one of these little towns or an old school and build a citadel, that it's going to be just like that place in Keene, Maine, where they had the little Bitcoin haven, then the feds raided it and stole everything from them. Um, stay small, stay hidden. Do what Chino and Soul Explorer and all those guys over on Bit by BitPod are talking about, of building a mesh to Dell of just under-the-surface mesh networks of relationships where you're connected but nobody knows you're connected. That is the ideal way to solve the problem. The complexity of trying to solve it when you're visible using narrative framing is very difficult. It's, it's insanely difficult. This is especially when you're starting to get into using the more complex legal structures and stuff to like slow the, uh, the movements against you and increase the cost of tyranny. Um, but like for those who are thinking bigger, Let's, let's just frame it this way. Like any of the big stuff that's happened in our country where the feds have done something crazy, like say like Waco, the first step that they have to do is make the people look crazy. They have to make you look like you're a domestic terrorist or something insane. That is the first move in the chess game against you. That's happening on Bitcoin Twitter like crazy already. They're trying to frame like saving is violence. They're trying to frame toxicity and adherence to truth as like, exclusion so that it's going to like when bitcoiners don't sell that they're harming the world these are all places where they're trying to frame the narrative in a way to make them us seem extreme so that then when they shift to a world of more kinetic violence rather than this information warfare violence they can do as they will you have to win the information war you have to understand it with discernment and adhere to the truth with honesty together. Otherwise, that game is really subtle and it gets spun on you. The easiest way to win that is stay small enough that you don't have to fight it. Try to do what solo exporters talking about, about master dolls is where I just go right back to you to sum that up. Agreed. Thank you. Thank you all. Join the conversation here. Thanks. That's a great question, Tim. Yeah, I was just <clears throat> thank you for bringing that up. That was really good. Okay. That's very good. Humble, I think we're ready for the next person. Do you want to bring some Yeah. City is next. Welcome, City. Well, well, thank you, guys. I've been uh, following the spaces for some time. And I see uh, much more like centralizing our actions around a decentralized idea and that's the kind of thing that i don't like about bitcoin this whole self-governance and kind of thing i'm an it guy i grew up on uh, unix systems since 1991 i'm what you call a boomer 
based in Netherlands, and I, I listened to all discussions overseas and all the diff different ideas. I don't know how many of you guys, and so this is also your contribution. I, I cannot take the power of it's like you're contributing to the Bitcoin and to the spreading the word and spreading the technology and bringing some uh, truth out there to the new newbies guys who are just realizing that our financial system is crumbling down. But yet, don't forget, we have to have products and instruments based on Bitcoin. We have to have new services uh, as, as the form of exchange in the future economies. It's not just about forming citadels and... Sorry, guys, notifications. So I, I'm not sure, are there any thoughts on new ways how to employ the Bitcoin transferring it to new services and selling it, multiplying, 10xing the Bitcoin idea rather than just sitting on the shares and, and, and watching it grow and benefiting off it. Because as we hype, it's uh, quite hypocritical. Uh, it's a hypo hip we are being hypocrites if we are just waiting and benefiting off it instead of employing it. Are there any new ideas which I could learn here for our publics in, 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 in the Europe, especially in Netherlands, how we can employ, employ the ideas of the Bitcoin and yeah, give it, give it to the public unintentionally or in streaming? I'm going to stop you there, if you don't mind, City. Thank you for coming up. Thank you for asking the question. It's appreciated. We do appreciate your participation. I'm going to speak to what you've asked here briefly and then we're going to move on to the next speak or next question um couple just a couple of quick thoughts number one this space is specific to bitcoin citadels and resilience that's the reason why we're talking about it <laughs> so we talk about we do these things every morning right we talk about lots of subjects on how to how to utilize bitcoin how to grow bitcoin how to how to build the bitcoin space we're all about that that's probably 99 percent of what we talk about today we're talking about resilience because that's a topic that people are interested in. So that's kind of the, the subject, and that's kind of the whole point here. Um, one last comment before we go to the next question is that, um, you know, you had mentioned something when you first started talking about, like, you know, the idea of self-governance. And, and I'm not really sure what you were getting at, but I got the feeling that you thought that that was mutually exclusive to building a good future, right? And I just want to point out that, that the American experiment of governance is literally self-governance. That was the entire point. That's why America was started. If you study the, the formation of the country, if you study the Constitution, if you study what the Founding Fathers said, their entire concept of government was self-government. Like, the federal government has no purpose whatsoever other than the purpose we ask it to play, and that is primarily being restrained from trampling on the God-given rights of the citizens. So that's really the whole American concept. If you don't agree with self-governance, you don't like American principles, basically. Go ahead, Untapped. So when it comes to the Bitcoin circular economy, Due to fiat, we think in large centralized business structures because that's what's been incentivized through fiat. The world has not always been this way. The world used to be local resilient mesh networks. 
rather than globally distributed pursuing optimization to the penny of whatever's cheapest and shipping it in from China, there was layers of mesh networks of redundancy because you had it being done closer to where it needed to be done. And at the end of the day, it's actually more efficient. The only reason we have this hyper-optimization is due to the incentives being so broken. Um, I could get into the details of how that exists in multiple worlds, but just, just take for, for, for now that that's just true. Okay. One of the things that I think is really important here is to remember the fact that the main narrative being framed against us is that when there's this hyperinflationary collapse, they are going to blame Bitcoin for it. They're going to blame Bitcoiners for it. If people know how many Bitcoin you have, if your business is operating on a Bitcoin standard, this is all strategic vulnerability. Now, if there's enough of us that do it fast enough to control the narrative, no big deal. Hope for the best plan for the worst. What I think is best for most of the average plebs is build local economies of mesh networks below the surface, operate on a Bitcoin standard based upon trust. Don't do it out in the open. Do it with each other based on relationships. Relationships are the trust bridges that enable security because that's how you know who you're dealing with. That's how I'd address the Bitcoin circle economy question. That's awesome. Damn, you have some yeah. succinct thoughts. I've got Suzanne over here next to me, <laughs> and she's like, yeah, she's pounding the table over here. I can hear it in the background. <laughs> Suzanne. <laughs> okay, so um, for those of you new to the conversation, we're talking about Bitcoin Citadels. We're talking about resilience. Basically, being able to move through this turbulent time to the other side until Bitcoin basically eats the world and um, makes sort of governance systems accountable to the people again that's kind of the way i see the end game playing out if you are in the audience and you have a question we've got untapped for about another 20 minutes so let's take advantage of his time he's been gracious enough to come and talk to us why is why am i featuring this guy i i talked to him privately for a bit this morning and he has gone way farther down this road like actually doing things than than most people have in my opinion so um he's got a lot of personal experience not just words um in terms of bitcoin citadels benny good morning welcome benny looks like a bot bye benny oh boy <laughs> So one way to tell is just look at their speaker count and look at their profile. If their speaker count, or not their speaker count, their follower count and their who they're following is pretty similar and it's low. And they, what they like to do is they like to just pop up on stage. Oh, let's see if it's a real person. Let's try one more time, Benny. Go ahead, Benny. It looks like it's still connecting on my end. All right, Benny, you got the mic, man. Go ahead if you have a question. Hello? Yep, we can hear you. Hey, Benny, did you have a question for us this morning? Or afternoon or evening, wherever you are? Maybe he was just hitting Hello? button randomly. Yeah, we can hear you. Please, ask your question. Well, I don't have a question. Um, I'm really excited. I just joined this group 
this group was shared to me. I just joined new people all the way from Africa. I'm joining okay. you all the way from Africa. Awesome. Well, thanks for joining us, and we're glad to have you. So if you've got a thought or a question or something to add, please go. Not really, not really. Uh, well, I'm new into I'm new into Bitcoin. I'm still willing to learn. Awesome. All right. Well, hang out. I hope you learn lots. Who's next? Well, that's a good question because we had somebody pop up and it just went down. So I don't have anyone right now. All right. Awesome. So, uh, Hamburg, go ahead, Untapped. While you guys are waiting to see if anybody else wants to hop up. I'd love to ping at you a little bit about thinking about you, like the U.S. Constitution and what America was meant to be of self-governance. If you look at most of the things that we're suffering from today, almost all of them have their roots in the original founding of the country where the founders tried to mitigate risk by centralizing power. And a couple of them argued against it, and a couple of them pushed it, and it slipped through, right? There's these little foundations laid, say like for the central banking, right? For the sake of funding armies, that was like there was little little cracks where that was allowed to kind of have thoughts about that included in the original writings about our country. It was all these places where they weren't okay with allowing the free communities to bear the risk of having to coalesce around solving problems together freely when it matters. It was like trying to mitigate risk up front rather than allowing the like organic nature of human relationships to problem solve and bear the good or the bad together. I think Bitcoin is a place that we're going to change how we approach human governance because of that. Because we understand that enabling the creative destruction of the marketplace and of humans is how we maintain freedom and healthy, peaceful consensus over the long hauls. I'm hoping we get a second shot at kind of America 2.0. And it's going to last a whole lot longer this time. Yeah, I agree 100%. And I have the same hope. So let me speak to that really quick. And then Acid, welcome. I'm going to call on you in just a second here. So I have two quick thoughts on the whole formation of the country, the Constitution, and then governance. Number one is, I, I agree 100%. Like, the founding fathers were pretty smart. That's the whole purpose of the Tenth Amendment of the Constitution. I'm going to paraphrase it, but basically it says is that any powers that are not specifically granted to the federal government are prohibited to the federal government, meaning the powers are, are reserved to the states and to the people themselves. So anytime the federal government goes out and does something that is not specifically granted to them by the states and the people, there is in violation of the Constitution of the United States. That's the first part. So that's super important. Like that's important to understand because they did that. So the states had the capability to push back against a federal government that was in violation of our own constitution. Um, and I had another thought about that and completely lost it. So we're going to go on to the next. All right. <laughs> that's all right. That happens. I believe that acid is next. Acid, welcome. Hello, everybody. Uh, yeah, you might know me better as Soul Exporter, but uh, Asset Lord was a title given by me by uh, our good friend Sweet Toshi, who's now away from Bitcoin Twitter. But if he might be here, us, we miss him, Ben. Um, and I just want to have a very stupid question and uh, something else to say. The stupid question is just: Is this recorded? Because I missed this entire session. Just a. Uh, 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 connected the last 20, 10 minutes maybe. 
and it sounds like a great trip. Uh, that would be the question, and uh, only thing I want to say is, um, yeah, I came up with a lot of stuff with the uh, Meshtadel idea, but it are the people like uh, Untapped and Ben Gunn, those are the real guys who are building and growing things as I was dreaming about. So I just wanted to say we need more of those to um, yeah, make the world a better place to the, I don't know who it was, uh, was speaking or asking about what to do uh, to City Shower, I think it was. Um, how we make the world a better place or instead of just sitting on uh, starts to make, uh, to see the number go up. Uh, man, I actually hear you. But the only way to change the world is to start on your own space, and that is can start with just yourself. Um, like uh, Citadelium says, the Citadel is you, it starts with yourself. And I think that's uh, the most important lesson is that uh, Bitcoin can bring us, is Bitcoin or Sats make you accountable for what you do. So before you point a finger to anyone, uh, put your thumb to your chest and see what can I change. Uh, the biggest examples again, uh, Untapped, Joel, and uh, Poor Ben Gunn. I just want, uh, when I was young, I used, used to have a lot of dreams uh, what I would become, and now I can say I would like to become an Untapped or a, or a Poor Ben Gunn. <laughs> so thank you guys. Thanks for sharing that. That is beautiful and so true. It starts with us, it starts with yourself. It's good to see you, Soul, man. Love you, buddy. Um, a lot of people don't know this, but Soul Exporter has kind of been an underground advisor for me for a long time. A lot of the stuff I'm doing I had original synthesis and conversations him and I had where I got stuck and he helped me solve it. Um, so I would, I would love to hear you elaborate more on some of this Meshadel concept and Citadel the Mind concept. Uh, I, I just, I'd love to hear you explore those thoughts a little bit. Like, cause I, I agree with you where it's, it's like sovereignty of the heart and mind, sovereignty of the money, which is your life force and energy and time. And then everything else grows out from there. I mean, I would even say the next step is sovereignty of relationships, of building community with those that are good-hearted, trustworthy, honorable men that you like uh, can have these long-standing places of community with where you have each other six. But if you had to like uh, talk some more on that, where, where, why would you say, like, why mess the bells? Why sovereignty of the mind first? Uh, it's just to be true to yourself to start with. Um, you can dream big, but the only thing you can change for yourself is the space around you. The smallest space around you is yourself. Uh, from yourself you go out to your family, or they will provide it for. And I don't mean uh, a lot of toys for the kids, uh, or, or uh, the wife has beautiful clothes, yeah, my wife is fiat-minded. Uh, but I try to uh, express here the psychological needs, the, the place to feel safe, and that's not only physically safe, but you cannot build a better world, uh, or you cannot love anybody or be loved if you don't love yourself. And love starts with true, truth. So you have to be true to yourself. Find what are the things I need in life, uh, what would make me happy, and no, not the questions of uh, Lambo or stuff like that. That's really shit. I, uh, sometimes or I often hate the, the number go up narrative. Yes, Bitcoin number go up, but it's a symptom and it's not a goal on its own. 
Um, so if you have yourself figured out, and I'm still working on that, then you can go further and further. And that's uh, like in the graph with the Dunbar's numbers, uh, you have uh, in the Dunbar's numbers, you have person missing itself. Then you have your family, your super family, uh, clan, tribe, up to the 150 there. And I think that's uh, where you can see the different forms of states that uh, we have seen in history. Like communism is not bad, but communism is just not a form to uh, do in a big group. Communism is perfect in the family sphere, for example. Socialism, you can include your friends or those that you trust more, but not so much as the, the ones that you call family. And to be clear, family is not only your blood kin, but um, for me, family is now also untapped and Bengun, Chino, uh, bit by bit, Max. Um, those are becoming like a, a, a next level. And it's not that they say beautiful things. It's not that uh, they're doing beautiful things and they're saying beautiful things. But a beautiful idea alone doesn't bring anything. And uh, Untapped and Joe, we exchanged so many things and, and just did a test with trust. All right. And, so yeah. I'm going to, I'm sorry, I'm going to stop you right there. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say two quick things and then we're going to move on. First of all, I appreciate the words, Acid. Like, there's a lot of wisdom, I think, in what you're saying. Like, a, a solid spiritual foundation, mental foundation, emotional foundation, financial foundation, physical, physical foundation, all important. So we've got untapped for about 13 more minutes, so we're going to go lightning round. Untapped, I'm, I, I see your hand. Right after this, untapped is going to go, and then we've got about nine people who want to come up and ask a question. So when, you, when we bring you up, keep it brief, like under two minutes, like under a minute if, if, if possible, so that untapped can talk and we'll just roll from there. Um, untapped, go ahead. So, Soul. Remember back when I had trouble with my website because when I first launched, we were having issues with the sign-up sheet with the database on the back end, and yep. I reached out to you, and we uh, we had Chino. I didn't even know Chino at the time, but I, because of trust in you, I knew Chino was like family to you, and I gave him the keys to my website at a critical moment because simply because you trusted him, so I chose to trust him. When we talk about a mesh of trust networks, that's what I mean. It's like... Like now, like especially as I'm building these Citadel networks and stuff larger, I have so many people that want to work with me, and so many people are super confident. I could check out the resumes and skills, but the missing piece of information in all of that is who can I trust? Who are the people who will be honorable and behave in a way that's worthy of what we're trying to do? Who's somebody that I could take a risk on knowing that they're going to be adherent to the mission that we have together? That is somewhere that these Meshtadels are super important. Because first and foremost, a Meshtadel is a trust network. It is saying that I can trust you because I have a brother like Soul Exporter and he trusts you. And I know Soul Exporter trusts good people. That is what the underground economy should be founded on. You can't, like, like Soul says this so well, that Bitcoin removes the trust from the money so that we can work on trust where it really matters. And that's inside of relationships. All Bitcoin does is get rid of the noise so that the trust of relationships can be developed more cleanly because you're not miscommunicating due to mispricing of everything in the marketplace. Outstanding. 
Um, the question was asked, but actually by Asset, and I and I forgot to answer the question. Yeah, these are being recorded. We do these every morning, 7 a.m. Pacific, 10 a.m. Eastern. We run them for about two hours. We're trying to hit as much signal versus noise as possible. Everybody's welcome. Um, sometimes we'll do it more more of a podcast format, and then other times we just have kind of a rap session where we've got everybody up here talking about stuff. But we like to keep these these spaces moving and clean and kind. So uh, we don't talk over each other, that kind of stuff. Uh, Humbles, who's next? Next up is JD. Welcome, JD. Good morning, everybody. Uh, Untapped, I've been following you for a while. I live in Texas, and I grew up on a ranch in Nebraska. And I think what you're doing is is really great with uh, teaching people about the importance of land and cattle and everything. And I know that I don't believe that you live in Texas, but what I guess a question is in in the world of being so polarized what what are the states that are attracting you know people who believe in freedom and liberty and and sovereignty and all of these things like Texas like Florida um, what are we going to have to do in order to protect that environment and continue to foster the things that are so attractive to us here? Good question. I, I was, so I'd start with just the whole mesh thing again, which starts with just sovereign families, sovereign communities, trust networks. But the first step, once you have that locked and loaded, is working in local politics at the county level, first and foremost with the sheriffs. That is the backbone of American freedom, how the sheriff is directly controlled by election with the population of the county and has the right to choose what he enforces and what he doesn't and has the power to better deputize people if there's overreach of the federal system against his population. Um, I know stories of some people in a certain part of the country. It happened like a decade or two ago where the federal government tried to put a bunch of land of farmers inside of a conservation easement for like uh, environmental water stuff because anywhere that was a part of the basin that flowed into the aquifer, they wanted to put it into protection, but really all it was was a land grab of a power grab by the federal government. These were farmers who were cattle ranchers who were protecting the land for hunting and like really doing good work on the ecology. And like, and they, they'd had this land almost since homesteading time. This is deep rural America um, where this took place. And they fought it in courts and fought it in courts as long as they could to try to stop them from coming in and seizing all the land from all these farmers who've had this land for generations. And then finally, they, the feds came out in their convoys to come just start seizing stuff. And the local sheriffs and all the local guys with the Second Amendment rights met them at the entrance of the road into that part of the county and said, if you guys are coming in, you're coming in against us. You're coming in against the local governance authorities, and you're choosing to pick a fight with us. And the fact the sheriff stood with them caused the federal people trying to oppress the local population to back off. If we want to start creating cohesion, I think even the state level is too big. Because you have a lot of monetary incentives being thrown around to manipulate human behavior. They're being thrown at hospitals. They're, being, they're even being thrown at farms. I mean, we know that, too, at the subsidies. But they're being thrown at the states. And as long as there's those briberies manipulating human incentives attacking politics much larger than just your really close like community and family network is going to be very difficult. Okay. Quick thought on that. Agree hundred percent. One thing that I would encourage everybody who's listening, who's an American to do is support your local sheriff. 
find out who they are if you don't know who they are on a county level. Sheriffs are critically important to, to, to the lawful sort of transition uh, in a peaceful way moving forward. Why? Because they're actually the only law enforcement officers that are enumerated in the Constitution, but more importantly, they're elected by the people. They're not appointed. City police officers, um, uh, a lot of the law enforcement officers you find are appointed. They're not elected. That's the first part. The second part is that sheriffs um, have the ability, if they want to, to deputize literally every citizen in their county as a law enforcement officer legally under the law under the United States Constitution. And if and when uh, any kind of federal force tries to go on in on a county level, it's ex it's just like Untapped said, that's extremely bad optics, right? If you've got the will of the people supporting the lawful law enforcement officers enumerated under the Constitution, you've got a federal officer that's trying to come in and do something that violates the Constitution, that's extremely bad optics for them. So I would encourage everybody to get to know your local sheriff. Let them know you support them. First of all, find out if they believe, <laughs> right, in the Constitution and if they believe in freedom or if they're willing to sort of forego their sworn oath to protect the United States Constitution versus all enemies, foreign and domestic, and side with people who are willing to destroy that. So that's something you need to figure out on your own. J.D., thanks for coming up. Humble so, event. Okay, go so ahead. So that – that and you got to make sure your local sheriffs know that you're with them at scale. A lot of these guys are freedom-loving, red-blooded Americans, but they just don't realize how much support they have. And you got to do that in ways that are careful. Where you don't make up a huge outcry on social media that makes your sheriff get visible and puts them at risk. You want to build this as a groundswell where it stays under the surface until the moment it matters. I'd love to actually get one more chance to like let JD speak back and forth again. Does that answer your question, JD? I think that it does. I think that it just affirms um, some things that that I've been able to do in my life. And I was just even thinking, we moved to Texas four years ago. I was in Colorado, twenty-one years, and you know, when I got my uh, concealed carry, and the the sheriff has to issue that, and I went to his home and and got it in Colorado and I know him and I know his brother and I've been hunting with his brother, right? Well, in Texas here, I don't have that relationship. And so you've just encouraged me to, to go, you know, foster and develop a, like a relationship with the sheriff and his deputies. And, um, instead of just, like you said, a big social, you know, some type of fake thing, um, actually, actually, let them know personally, hey, I'm here for you. I'm behind you. And, um, you know, ask them what do they need. So I think it's great. Awesome. Yeah. So, I mean, if you look at the states, even Texas and Florida has taken the federal handout money to push the medical stuff with COVID. Florida's pushing digital driver's license. Florida's also going out, their Department of Agriculture head lady, whatever, um, is even working on banning people's driver's license who attended the January 6th rally, even if they weren't violent. There's the state level is very, very difficult to engage with. That local sheriff level is our cornerstone. That's where we have to start. Yeah. And by the way, um, one last topic on the sheriffs, and let's move on, is, is that it, it, there's a sheriff in every county, I think. I mean, there might be a county that, that doesn't have one temporarily, but every county is supposed to have its own sheriff. Even the ones, even the counties that are part of a, a state that's got a huge 
population that still has a the, the population centers are still part of the county and there is a sheriff that has jurisdiction there so that said we're going to uh we're going to skip the line a little bit i apologize but we've got stefan lavera in here stefan good morning how you doing do you have something to ask or something to add to the conversation here Hey guys, um, nothing in particular to add. I'm just uh, inter- interested to uh, yeah join in and uh, hear. I'm I'm just sort of hearing what people are saying. I only just got here, um, but yeah, definitely um, the point around trying to build your own local alternatives and sort of trying to yeah see see what you can do in terms of finding those sympathetic people, um, whether they're in the government, in the police, in that area or not. I think those those are useful things to do. Um, but I'm, uh, yeah, maybe I'll uh, wait and uh, listen a little bit just to get a get a sense of um, what people are interested to talk about today. Right on. Okay, so uh, Untapped, I know we've got you for just about two more minutes. Humble, who's next? Untapped, go ahead. I'm going to push my guys back just a little bit more again. I think we're flexible today a little bit. Um, yeah, I just checked. I just checked my. my company chat. We're, we're good for a little longer. Um, cause it, this is important. So JD, one other thing to kind of talk to people at a larger scale strategically, the more red the area you go to, the better. Uh, I hate to say it, but Texas and Florida aren't that red. I mean, Florida before DeSantis was like, it was like a skinnier teeth election. Look for areas that even the cities are going red. Be around friendlies who understand freedom. The more of them and the you have at the state scale, the better. Um, I'd love to hear from Bowtide. I've been getting some good interactions from him on Twitter about the Citadel stuff. You can go to him next, Cyber. Yeah, by all means, Bowtide, rock and roll, man. What do you got? Good morning. Hey, guys. Uh, thanks for calling me out, Joel. It's been a lot of fun engaging on Twitter lately. Um, yeah, so the, the question I had, uh, sounds like everything that you've been focusing on during this discussion has been around how to thrive um, how to build thriving citadels and mesh networks. And, and I'm, I'm 100% on board with that. But due to family restrictions, uh, my short to medium term life is going to be uh, in a non-free state and in the suburbs of a non-free area. So I'm looking more to how can I survive, not thrive. Uh, I'm wondering if you have any specific thoughts around that kind of restriction. Sorry, I lost you on like, just two sentences ago, before you said, like, I'm looking to survive, not thrive, I, I blipped out just a little, a little bit of that question. Yeah, so I, I'm living in a non-free state in a, a non-free area of the country. And uh, I, I'm on board with the localism thing, and I'm going to engage with my local sheriff. Um, but thri- uh, thriving, I don't think, is going to be realistic for me, and, and surviving is going to be more realistic for me. I would say if you're in a city, leave. I would truly just be that blunt. Um, you like even like if like if your wife family like the frame of mindset here, you should be thinking as if we're in Germany before the Holocaust started. You probably got six to eighteen months out. Hope for the best, plan for the worst. It may not be that bad, but off the off chance that it is that bad, trying to write it out in an area that's not the safest is dumb, dumb, dumb. And you just never know how quick borders will end up being closed, even potentially between states and stuff. Because if you look at Canada and then the U.S. sneaking through the vaccine stuff for immigration, it's like it just kind of slowly, slowly got there. And all of a sudden, there's not time to get done the immigration paperwork without fulfilling the vax mandates. 
and now nobody can get across the border to have a chance to get into the states anymore. It's like by the time it becomes a problem where you think you're going to be able to make a decision, it's already too late. You need to move before it's a problem. All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to uh, sort of put the conversation into context for those of you who are joining us. We've got a ton of new people joining the space. Um, this discussion is, is about resilience. It's about Bitcoin citadels, right? So that's the kind of the entire point. We're, we're talking about things that I know are probably super uncomfortable for a lot of people. And many people may have never even thought of this stuff before. So I just, I just want to um, say to you, it's okay. We don't always just talk about this kind of stuff. That's just the topic of what we're doing today. Um, but I think it's an important topic, obviously, because, you know, we've got over 300 people, I think, in this room last time I looked. Um, who's next? Humble. All right. We have Bad Wolf next. Welcome, Bad Wolf. Hey, good morning. I, I just love this discussion. I, I've been thinking about Citadels, and um, and, and I've kind of come, I, I think, among um the same problem that a lot of people have found with them is that if you get a large group of people together and, um, you know, centralize them in one location, it becomes less of a, of a citadel and more of a prison, right? Because, you know, you're, you're, you kind of get into a trench warfare situation. And, and so I, I've been want, trying to find a solution to that, and I didn't even know about this Neshtadel thing, and so I'm really glad I joined the space today and learned about this. Um, so, so thinking about mesh citadels, you know, I, that, that, Im, that naturally Im, implies a high degree of diplomatic power. Like we, and, and I guess, um, well, at some point you need, you need a high level of diplomatic power. I, I think about the case where, you know, the citadels may be attacked or the mesh citadels may be under attack. And that's when your alliance, the strength of your alliance is is what's going to be your best defense. And so I'm wondering, and, and so we're, we're talking about the local sheriffs, localism, you know, getting, because the whole idea is that you have a Bitcoin-run society trying to survive in a, in a um, failing fiat climate. And when those two are, are overlapping each other, you know, there's going to be some conflicts. So... And, and, and the ultimate goal I think we all foresee is that we're trying to um, wait it out, let attrition do its thing on the fiat system while the Bitcoin uh, mesh Dells sort of emerge and, you know, uh, they'll, they'll survive, they'll be pristine. But in order to get to that point, and here's the question I have, what else can we do today to build up these alliances, to build up these, um, build up the diplomacy uh, start start forging agreements, uh, even if they're meaningless. Like like I, I know sometimes Congress like they'll pass laws that really don't do anything. They just they just say we're going to condemn something. Like sometimes they'll do that, or we're going to pass a law that says if this condition happens, then this this thing happens as a result. And so you know maybe like it's up to us today like to start forging agreements that in, that go into in, in action once certain conditions take place. And so I think about trade, I think about uh, protection, like uh, I think about citadels are, will probably be net importers of goods and services because uh, until we get to be self-sufficient and have enough um, representation of all of society's 
you know, producers, you know, we're going to be net importers. We're, we're going to need external sources for food and, and, and other goods. So what can, what else can we do today besides engaging local sheriffs to kind of set, <clears throat> set the groundwork for this? I would say I would start right with critiquing the net importer thing. That's what we have to flip. We have to be the ones who have the manufacturing and the goods and services everybody else needs, which is possible because we're the ones who don't have our wealth being extracted. We could be successful. So like what a lot of, a lot of my network's doing, we're keeping all our treasury in Bitcoin. We are using like a revolver account for most of our operating expenses. And we're actually working with Eric Yates to boot up doing this. We're not doing it yet, but we're intending to using options to hedge the downside risk on like a six month time frame. That way as much of our monetary energy as possible is stored on a six month period without subjecting the business to a lot of liquidity risk. Okay. So because of the fact that we have trust networks, we have savings that aren't being eroded. We should not be getting taken down by hyperinflation as much because Everybody else is going to be at each other's throats, and we're going to have a lower time preference to slowing down and thinking, like, I have a little bit of savings here. How do I solve this actual problem and deploy capital to solve real problems? What we have to realize is that there is a point in this story where it's not just about how many dollars do you have measured in Bitcoin or even how many Bitcoin do you have measured in Bitcoin because we're going to reach a world where things are just step function scarcity where due to supply chains breaking, nobody has them. If we in our local communities can get away from a just-in-time model and get into a just-in-case model, so thinking like booting up little micro-machine shops, you got a little thousand-square-foot shop that can't compete on a price point with stuff coming out, out of China, but like you have the ability to do flexible manufacturing and fix things whenever and nobody else get it. You can turn a profit doing it. I know guys that are making bank right now doing this. If we could acquire real skills, real trades, with a just-in-case model, using our Bitcoin treasuries to lower our time preference so we don't have to play the same rapid game of the hamster where everybody else is playing and we can survive, the Bitcoin economy will emerge because we're the few people still trading. Now, the whole thing, too, of the risk assessment, don't make it so obvious that you're building a Bitcoin economy. Do that with your trust networks under the surface. I mean, use the revolvers, use those, these easy places we have cheap debt to keep as much of your exposure to Bitcoin as possible and then solve real problems. That way we are the ones who have the power as nobody else has it when everything's collapsing. Okay. That was really good. Um, Corey, if you're there and you, uh, there's anything you want to say, just either fist bump or put your hands up, hand up. I'm not going to put you on the spot. I know you're super busy in the mornings, but uh, thanks for being here. Appreciate it. Humble, um, who do you have next up? Next up, I have Michael. Michael, welcome. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, I got a quick question. Uh, I'd love for um, Untapped, I'd love for you to just kind of talk briefly about uh, logistics and supply chain because I think um, – that's definitely an area that I'm uh, really scrutinizing right now, especially with energy security kind of being a big problem, shortages in labor and, and um, you know, traditional logistic networks. So love to hear just any kind of rapid fire uh, statements on that. Big question. Depending on what industry, um, unless it's an industry that's heavily subsidized and currently being pushed by the state agenda, 
assume it's going, it's broken or going to break shortly. Try to build networks where you can call in favors. Try to find the business opportunities, like the little micro machine shops, to boot up flexible, redundant networks where you can solve those problems and profit from them. Chaos is a place where there's huge opportunity. Try to get into positions, because with Bitcoin, we have active capital that's not being extracted from us. And we're actually getting wealthy, even though we don't have to um, like have cash flows to do it, because everybody's fleeing in to be safe where we are. So use that money to solve problems in the world. You'll also profit from it as long as you can anticipate what the market needs are going to be. That's going to be industry specific. So look at the places your friends and you know best, figure out where it's going to break and come up with ways to solve it. And then as you help the Bitcoin Pled network, you'll also better sell those things out to the rest of the world and make bank while you do it. Right on. Okay. Um, we've got about 15 minutes left. We've got a ton of people who want to ask questions or add to the conversation. So let's just keep rolling. If we bring you up as a speaker, please be brief. Keep it to just a couple of minutes and um, we're going to roll through this. We are recording this, by the way. We'll be posting it. Sats Radio. Shout out to Sats Radio. He's uh, recording this and he's going to be putting it up on Spotify and Anchor, which then redistributes to all the major podcast platforms, etc. Uh, so thanks, everybody, for being here. And uh, Untap, thanks for your time. Humble, who's next? We have Christian up next. Welcome, Christian. Hi, I just wanted to make a quick comment. Um, so I really enjoy the conversation you guys are having. Um, I think it's important, too, that uh, uh, we start thinking about these uh, kind of Bitcoin citadels not having any sort of like physical one location. So because of the way uh, that Bitcoin works and related technology, we should start thinking of it more of a, like a, um, a membership in a sort of an idea. So the idea becomes the territory versus an actual physical territory. So that means it doesn't matter where on the planet you are, you can be part of this new thing. All right, great point. So, so I guess the only thing I'd say there is if you look at Bitcoin, the network of Bitcoiners is the people. It's a Bitcoin is a mathematical software tool for human consensus but it's consensus of people who are willing to use the standard to do human exchange together to help enrich each other. That's what trade is. We're each getting to do what we do best and share it together. I would say first and foremost, citadels are the trust networks. They're who you know and who you're willing to help. And I think it's important too, that we start thinking about uh, what's important uh, like our current systems uh, place certain values on certain ideas and our current reality, our current state of being is a result of the things that we've kind of uh, put value on. And so it's important, I think, to to kind of look inward and figure out what it is that it's gonna, is going to be important to us in the future. Agreed. Awesome thoughts. 
Um, okay, so let's keep this rolling. We've got about 10 minutes left. Humble, who's next? I believe that Suzanne is next, if I am correct. Welcome, Suzanne. Hi. I just want to, first of all, say thank you so much. This has been an awesome conversation. I probably have, let's see, five pages of notes notes here. I'll be listening. Very grateful. This is recorded, so thank you for that. Also, I'll be listening to this one again. Um, my my question is, um, and the I, I've been thinking a lot about um, uh, resilience. I am, um, you know, I work with kids and I work with animals and very close to nature and that sort of thing. So, you know, thinking about supply chains and thinking about getting involved with, you know, your local sheriffs is critically important, but also, also the schools. Do you, I'm, I'm curious specifically, um, untamed in your kind of culture and your kind of network, how do you empower like younger people and kids to start thinking in these terms? Because I very, I very much see that these kids have become very codependent and I, I'm on technology and their cell phones and they're always glued to them. And the teachers are becoming more, um, uh, aggressive, predatory, et cetera, in my opinion, predatory, because they're, I mean, someone was telling a first grader to get vaccine, you know, get their vaccine last week. So, um, within this community and within this topic, um, is there anything you would speak to that? Other, I mean, homeschooling is key, obviously, but. Yeah, I would say we don't have any choice but to go to like local groups of homeschooling families. I mean, unless you already have a strong pull with your sheriff over a fairly large spread, this whole thing with the public schools, and then parents trying to stand up for their kids is starting to try to be framed as like resisting the school board's agenda, which is being incentivized from the top is being framed as domestic terrorism. That is very risky. I don't like the fact they're doing it to parents. It's egregious and horrible, but I think it's the wrong fight to pick. It's where they're going to try to once again make examples out of your more naive, freedom-loving, like, rural Americans. Um, I think we need to stay on the blast radius of that and solve that by taking responsibility for bringing in private teachers and homeschool and raise our own communities and good children. Thank you. I'd love to pass it to Michael next. Um, I've had some good engagement with him. I'd love to hear his thoughts. Right on, Michael, go ahead, good morning. Hey, good morning guys. Just wanna say um, this is a great discussion. I love the format. A lot of good information is being shared. I'm learning a lot and um, I just wanted to uh, add to the conversation and possibly get on TAP's thoughts on this is two two things so number one um michael krieger has a good um series on localism and what he talks about or what he he kind of explains in the series is how at the county level we can affect a local politics and when and the idea there is that you know with the feds overreach into certain aspects of our lives we can already make declarations uh, at the county level um, where, the, where it's already stated that the sheriff and the county won't recognize infringements on our constitutional rights. And while this is just kind of like a declaration, it does get the idea going and it can spread into other neighboring counties. So I just wanted to bring that up and get your thoughts on that, as well as a second idea 
that right now what I'm seeing is a lot of people are disenfranchised by what's happening with the vaccine mandates. Um, and um, these are people, just ordinary people, nurses, um, you know, working class people, but they have skills. And what I've been thinking about is how do, you know, and the, they're willing to make big changes in their lives. They're just not completely like on board with the Bitcoin vision um, or the Citadel ideas. They just haven't done that work. But we've been thinking about how to possibly start networking with these people who have potential skills that are just not in the Bitcoin circle and potentially later on bring them in as potential working people in the Citadel networks. So just wanted to get your thoughts on that. Yeah, so first let's talk without the local um, declarations. I've seen that in success. I mean, I'm currently in Virginia. That's not where I'm going to stay if anybody's curious. I'm moving over to the central U.S. by spring, bringing the farm and everything with me. Um, we had a situation back, I think it was in 2019, where Governor Northam was trying to do an assault weapons ban and take away our Second Amendment rights. For those of you who don't know, Virginia is very red, very rural, except the vote is very heavily dominated by northern Virginia around D.C., Richmond, which is very liberal, and then a little bit of Tidewater region, which is very liberal. So like a lot of the country, the vote swung by these population centers, but it violates the will of the majority of like the geographic area of the state itself. So he was pushing this, and he just kept backing people into a corner further and further and further by like they just in the courts were pushing stuff that was insane. And every time there was a protest, every time there was like the local counties tried to do something, he would just make it more and more egregious. So what ended up happening is all the rural local counties across Virginia they had meetings over this that spread like fire. It started with just one or two of them. They went to the local courthouse. They had a like, and everybody was like petitioning their local sheriff and the local county leaders of like, hey, we want to be a Second Amendment county that says if he passes this, it won't be enforced in our county. And once the first one or two got it, it went off across the whole state to where nearly the entire state, like over 100 counties in Virginia, were Second Amendment sanctuary counties. He was still trying to push the assault weapons ban, even when the entire will of the whole state was against him. It was so riled up that, like, a county literally couldn't not become a Second Amendment, Second Amendment county because they were so pushing it in the local populace and sheriffs. So what they ended up doing is we all had an armed rally on January 20th in Richmond where we had 70 or 80,000 of us staying in the Capitol telling them that if he pushes this, it's going to be a big deal. And that's when they finally backed off, but they couldn't do anything because of the fact the support of the local counties was all with us. So that was the legal protection of the American system, the way it's supposed to function, right? So that support at the local level is how you control the narrative so that you can actually go out and have these things where they don't get eroded against you. Now, granted, it's not a long-term solution, but it stopped it for a while to where Virginia still has their firearm rights. Um, so that's just a good example of that situation. Um, what was your second question, Michael? Remind me. It was about tapping into um, people's potential um, skill sets now. Yeah, hiring. Yep. So I'm directly on this one already. I'm actually publicizing this week out to, like, first my main pool of people I'm already in conversation with, but I'll spread it out farther where we're booting up a bunch of different companies that are meant to solve some of these choke points in the logistics of supply chains and what's going to be needed by a lot of us trying to get sovereign. And 
we're going to be bringing in investment capital for acquiring all sorts of things that we're expecting supply chains to break on and stockpiling them as well as in parallel trying to boot up manufacturing for different things where we're able. We got like a long-term plan we're working on. Um, the real problem is that everybody's still connected to the whole black swan risk of global supply chains, right? So even the freedom-loving sides of the economy largely are. So you got these people losing their jobs and you try to put them in a company and they're not really getting away from the risk. We need to start thinking about these kind of just-in-case, redundant, resilient models building companies around it and hiring these people. I mean, it doesn't matter if they're Bitcoiners or not. If they're people who love freedom, we'll orange bum along the way, man. If they've got skills, they're honest, good people, willing to work hard, then let's collaborate and create value to be able to produce what people need the best we can of all of us together. 100%. Grassroots. Get to know your local sheriff. Let him know you support him. Interview him. Ask him direct questions. Ask him specifically, do you support the United States Constitution? Do you believe in the United States Constitution? Will you honor your oath to defend the United States Constitution? Watch closely for his reaction. If he doesn't believe in that, we have the power to vote him out. Vote him out. Get a new sheriff. Okay, we have three minutes left. i got to be wrapping this up. I do have client calls and stuff that I need to do, etc. Um, so let's go with one last question or topic. Tone Vase, good morning. If you're there, if you've got something to ask or you want to add, welcome. Hey guys, um, well, I always got questions and answers, but thanks for bringing me up. I, I, I didn't have anything planned, but I was like thinking about it. Hey, Untapped, I, I got a question for you because this is what I'm struggling with right now. Um, I have the resources and I'm already considering surrendering my U.S. passport, right? That's an option. And it's an option for a lot of people, especially, uh, and my family has left Soviet Union to come to the United States. So it's not the first time my family has left. But at the same, and, and, as, and I can live a nomad lifestyle globally, though the COVID passports make that difficult. At the same time, I know that the U.S. does have the best gun rights. So one of the only reasons I would actually stay is for the potential that the U.S. would split into two or three countries, and then I do end up in one of those red states like Texas. So, like, that's a dilemma for probably a lot of people. Uh, because I was there on the Capitol on the 6th, and like was said earlier, now like even people in Florida, they, I mean, I'm about to become a Florida resident, and I may not get my driver's license because everyone knows I was there on the 6th, even though I didn't go inside the Capitol, which was probably one of the best decisions I made last year because I had the ability to go inside the Capitol, but I didn't. And um, so, well, like, that, that's a tough call. Um, I know you're staying and fighting, but I tried. You know, I went peacefully protest. And now I'm lucky I didn't, you know, get in trouble with, with the law for just being there peacefully and walking around. Okay, this is a really good question. I'm glad this came up as the last one. It's really important to know that this is global. There's not going to be any magic place to hide. What they're going to do is they're going to consolidate those who are the largest, and then they'll go after you smaller and smaller and smaller. Right? The old thing about the Holocaust, right? First they came for so-and-so, first they came for so-and-so, and then they came for me. At a micro level, it probably makes sense to try to run somewhere third world and hide. But the incentives of the global power structures are to continue to manipulate those nations until there's nowhere left. I'm staying in the States and fighting because I believe this is where the crux of the battle of monetary reset is happening. And unless some of us stick around and win it, it's just, we're not going to have a chance. Okay. So 
there's this whole thing about balkanization that I want to address too. The U.S. We've we've founded a nation on behavior that I don't believe in, where we've been imperialistic and pick fights, things that I think are immoral around the world for a long, long time. And you reap what you sow. I'm very worried that if we balkanize, that's going to come back home to roost. We'll either have China or blue helmets or somebody in our country. We need to maintain enough cohesion that that doesn't happen. If, if the U.S. goes, so goes the world is the way I see it. The best option I believe we have goes back to the local thing. Get your family and everybody as sovereign as you can. Work at the county and sheriff level. If you want to start thinking this whole secessionist politics, move from trying to take a local county in a blue state that's red and secede into a red state to grow the power of the red states. Try to maintain as much cohesion at scale as we can, but understand that pushing that narrative of the U.S. fracturing is not necessarily a place of safety. But yeah, Tone, it's, it's hard, man. I mean, this is just... It's sunk cost. At some point, it becomes like that old Chesterton quote, you got to drink death like wine. Like, you got to dance on the edge of it and be willing to let go of the of your desire to live if you actually want to make it. It's, you have to be on the edge. Otherwise, uh, you're not going to have that fearlessness to stand at the cusp of the battle and win it. 100%. And we're going to close up with this. Um, so, I'm a, I'm a veteran. I... Um, I very much fiercely believe in freedom. I left the United States. I did that route for 11 years. I went down and lived in Panama, Central America, and I came to the conclusion that uh, America is the last beacon of hope, in my opinion. I'm not trying to be like, oh, Americans are awesome. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is we still have our firearms. We're one of the last countries in the world, except for maybe Switzerland. And if this country falls... It, you know, this is just my, I like to be hopeful for the future, but I think it's dark times for the whole world if America falls. So somebody's got to freaking stand in that gap. Right, but, but my question is, right, like it's not all of America believes in guns. The half of America doesn't. Those are the big cities, right? Hence, mm-hmm. um, well, like is a split better because half of America wants to ban the guns. That, so like let them go off on their own. Let them join China and other countries. We're going to save tone. I think I appreciate that, and I agree. But we got to wrap up. I'm serious. I got to (laughs) go. So I'm not trying to be mean, but I I hate to cut the conversation off there. I mean, we can have this conversation again, and I hope we do. Um, Okay, we're going to we're going to let Untapped quickly go ahead and and finish up, and then I want to wrap things up. I'm glad you mentioned Switzerland. Right, they're the model of every citizen is responsible for the defense of their nation. That's the way America was intended to be with that back in early American constitution. The centralization of the defense structures of the U.S. is part of how we got into this place of unhealthy imperialism. Us going back to this local politics of your local sheriffs and being prepared to stand together as communities is actually going back to America as it was intended to be. That, I believe, is going to actually be able to create enough cohesion that I don't think, I think we'll put a hold. I really do, Tone. I'm not hopeless. I think we really do have a chance, and I'm, I'm not standing here fighting hopelessly. Anybody who wants to come stand with me, man, I'm happy to have you join me because we're going we're gonna to stand here to, like, 
to the death. I mean, it's, I, I believe what he said about if America goes, the world goes. And that's why I'm here. Yeah. hundred percent. Okay. So well, let's wrap this thing up. I just want to say thank you to everybody who joined us today. Thanks for coming in. We go, we do these discussions every day, 7 a.m. Pacific, 10 a.m. Eastern. We run them for about two hours. They've been really good. I want to thank all the speakers today. I want to uh, thank Untopped for your time today. It's been awesome. Really appreciate it. Shout out to Sats Radio. This is being recorded. It's going to be put up on Spotify. We'll tweet out the info if you want to know it. Throw us a follow. Throw Untapped a follow, man. If you're interested in learning more about mesh networks, human networks, and, and resilience, throw this guy a follow. I've learned so much from this guy today. want to uh, shout out to my co-host, Humble Warrior. You're awesome. Thank you so much for everything you do. And with that, we're going to wrap it up. Everybody, Bitcoin Army, let's go out there. Let's take the peaceful path here. We've had a really kind of rough discussion today. It's important to talk about these things, but let's shoot for the peaceful path. That's Bitcoin. Let's go out there and orange pill the other 7 billion people on this planet. Um, love all of you guys. Go out there and crush it. Thanks for hosting. <clears throat> this is a wonderful space. Bye, guys. Take care, everybody. Enjoyed it.